Welcome to the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as Tifa Project for short, a podcast show that features stories and life lessons told by American women of Filipino descent. We're your co-hosts, Jen Amos. And I'm Nani Dominguez. And thank you for joining us. If today's conversation resonates with you, text us and let us know at 415-484-8329. And if you want to show us some love, buy us boba at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jen and Nani. It says coffee, but we love boba. Again, that's www.buymeacoffee.com slash Jen and Nani. Awesome. With that said, thank you all for your love and support. Now let's get into the show. All right. Hello, hello, everybody. Jen Amos here. Just wanted to give some quick, exciting announcements before we get into today's conversation with a local friend of mine in Virginia Beach. So first and foremost, I just want to thank all of you who supported us for getting our show nominated for the 16th Annual People's Choice Podcast Awards. Unfortunately, we did not make it into the final slate, which is pretty much the final round where people who had the final slate where People who had nominated shows or voted will have a final say in regards to who actually wins the 16th Annual People's Choice Podcast Awards. However, the bright side is that my other show made it, (laughs) Holding Down the Fort Podcast, which is actually primarily focused on military families, particularly active duty military families. And so if you want to continue supporting me as a podcaster, what's going to happen is that you may be receiving an email from Podcast Awards to help make the final decision on who actually amongst the nominees receives one of these awards. And so if you do receive that email and you can participate in the final voting, please, please, please help my other show, Holding Down the Fort Podcast, get get voted and nominated. You will be able to find that under the government and organizations category when you vote. And so that's it. So once again, I want to thank you all again for your continuous support. I will continue to apply for these shows because why not? (laughs) It's fun to show up for these things and it's fun to rally the community to get recognized. I can't thank you all enough for being a part of that, being a part of our journey to, you know, really take this show to a professional level. And yeah, I'll keep you updated on what comes next in regards to potential awards in the future. My second announcement is super grateful to the organizers of Podcast Movement in Nashville, Tennessee for making this conference possible. I had the opportunity to be a part of the panel, which was titled Using Microphones to Shatter the Bamboo Ceiling, How Hearing Asian Voices Can Flip the Narrative Around Being Asian. And this was a an exciting and fun panel that I was able to do with two other you know, women who are of Asian descent to have this open discussion. And so the conference was really well organized. I really appreciated how you were able to wear special pins on your lanyards to indicate how comfortable you are with, you know, uh, being in close proximity with people or, you know, practicing social distancing. Everyone was very respectful in regards to your choice to wear masks or not. But overall, it was just exciting and 
I guess, a breath of fresh air to be able to be around people again, especially other podcasters. So once again, shout out to the podcast movement organizers for having made that event possible. I did hear that there were a lot of last minute cancellations, including a couple of people that I knew that weren't able to make it in person. So either way, just kudos to the podcast movement organizers for putting together such an exciting event at Nashville, Tennessee last week. And also, I would like to give a shout out to the nonprofit organization Vets to Industry. They are a organization that really helps military spouses in need of connections to resources, employment, and networking for their career goals. I had the fortune of giving the keynote speech at this event, which was last Saturday, August 7, 2021. And even though our podcast is not primarily focused on the military community, I myself was raised as a military child. And I know that a lot of people in our community, you know, came here, our parents came here because of the military, or some of us are are actually serving in the military. And also why I like to share it, why I'm sharing it is it'll give you a snapshot into my personal life and what I've been going through as of late. And so if you are curious to learn about the work I do, as well as, you know, get a snapshot on what life has looked like for me in the recent weeks, We will have the replay to that keynote speech available soon in which you can either check out at my other podcast show, holdingdownthefortpodcast.com. So moving on with my announcements, so many amazing things to share. So now I am extremely excited to announce that Nani has given birth to her new son, Hero. Oh, wow. I mean, we have been anticipating this for months now, and especially in the recent weeks, we didn't know when she was going to deliver, but she had recently delivered. You can check out all the updates on her social media accounts or on her Instagram account notes by Nani. I just want to say congratulations to Nani and CAD for welcoming your new son hero into the world. We love you. We support you. We're excited for this next chapter of your life. And also on that note, This also means that we will be having a new co-host starting with the next commentary that I do joining us here on the show. And so Nani and Kad, we're so happy for you, so excited for you. And I encourage all of our listeners to reach out to them, reach out to Nani and congratulate them for their new son. And so that being said, be on the lookout for our next commentary where we will be bringing on a new co-host while Nani is exploring this new chapter of motherhood. I'm really, really excited for this next co-host. You actually have heard her on the show before, and she had invited a lot of guests on the show. And so I feel like once you hear her, you will not be surprised who it is. But either way, I'm excited that while Nani is, you know, on break, on hiatus, you'll be hearing a new voice, a new perspective during our commentary interviews or during our commentary episodes. Uh, You will still hear Nani in the interviews ahead only because we were pretty fortunate to get those done while she was still available. But watch out for our commentaries. I'm really excited. I'm also especially excited to share more things with you with this co-host. So be on the lookout for that. And also just another update, because Nani will be on break for now, please expect our weekly newsletters to be bi-weekly newsletters. If not, they will be sent to you every now and then. So please give us that grace as we, you know, navigate, both of us actually navigate new chapters in our lives right now. 
So thank you. Thank you all so much. Um, the most important thing for us is to have a weekly consistent show for you. And part of that is because you all keep showing up and downloading our episodes. So that tells us that we are doing something good. And so just know that even though you may not hear from us as much, especially if you are direct messaging us or emailing us, and you may not get our weekly newsletters as consistently as before, we are still very dedicated to having a weekly show for you here at the Filipino American Woman Project. So thank you. Thank you so much for your support. And all right, that is it. With that said, thank you all so much for indulging me and listening to these announcements. Now, please enjoy today's conversation. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as Tifa Project for short. I am your creator and co-host, Jen Amos. And as always, I don't really have like other verbiage than to just keep saying what I'm saying, Nani. But as always, I have my amazing co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Hey, thank you for the intro. We can definitely do some research on that because I don't either. (laughs) I say the same thing every time too. Hey, don't fix what's not broken, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I have to say your audio sounds amazing today. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Shout outs to my dad for this fancy (laughs) mic that I am going to start using again. Yes. We're trying to be a little more professional now on occasion. So um, (laughs) yeah, on occasion, emphasis on occasion. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me go ahead and do some housekeeping here for our listeners before we introduce our guests. As you know, if you've been following our show now, we are starting a private podcast show called Just Miss with Jen and Nani. And if you want to have access to that show and you want to support us, check it out at biasboba.com. We've already had a number of people support us on there. We already released original content, such as our conversation with Nani's dad on Father's Day. And we have way more to come, including even my own personal drama in my life and my experiences. It's going to be great. But yeah, if you want to support us, biasboba.com. And if this conversation compels you in any way to reach out to us, we do have a phone number 415-484-8329. Once again, that's 415-484-8329. Leave us a text or entertain Jen. She's begging you now because no one's done this yet to leave a voice message. I'd love to hear your voice. And of course, if you would prefer to email us, we do have emails. Jen at tifaproject.com and Nani at tifaproject.com. That's J-E-N at T-F-A-W project.com and N-A-N-I at tifaproject.com. All right, that's it. I think that's all the updates I have. Of course, remember to subscribe to our mailing list. We haven't brought this up recently, Nani. So just remind people why they want to be a part of our mailing list. Yeah, our newsletter, our weekly newsletter is really where we have moved all of our focus and attention to, I know that a lot of you guys used to interact with us a lot on Instagram and we used to post a lot on our stories kind of on a daily basis and constantly be on there, just community building with you guys. And so that is our newsletter is where we're doing that now. And we include all kinds of goodies for you guys in there, including just like a personal message to you, keeping a pulse on the community in terms of news and politics updates, which our lovely interns help us with from the Bulo Sun Center at UC Davis, media that Jen and I are featured in outside of the podcast, updates on our latest project, Christmas with Jen and Nani, and other things that we've worked on. Jen and I are really expanding our gamut of things that we work on now outside of the TIFA project. And so 
yeah, with all the kind of media things that we focusing on, we put updates for you guys in there to learn about. And then of course, links and everything to watch on YouTube or listen on the podcast to their latest episodes and fun resources for you guys to check out that are just meant to uplift the community. Yes. Thank you so much for explaining that as you always eloquently do. And of course you can subscribe by checking out the show notes of this episode or obviously visiting our website at TFAW that's tifaproject.com. All right. That's all our updates. We are going to bring on our guest today. I am really excited. This is actually one of my local friends here in Virginia beach that I've managed to be able to make and keep. <laughs> so conversation for another time, just Ms. Jen and Nani. So let me go ahead and introduce her. We have with us Melody Agbisit, who is a counselor, educator, social entrepreneur, and writer. And before we really get into this conversation, go on your Instagram account right now and add her. Her Instagram account is Mello Mahalo, which is spelled M-E-L-O. M-A-H-A-L-O. So without further ado, Melody, welcome to the show. Yay. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. So I know this is like a very obvious question, but why don't you start by sharing? How did you hear about the show and what compelled you to join us? How did I hear about the show? Well, I think you were stalking me, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. Sounds about right. (laughs) Joking, but I mean, I've seen you a lot in like the military community groups and also like the Filipino groups. And I think somehow we became Facebook friends. I don't know how that came about, but one of us friended each other, you know, just like, I guess, seeing each other's content. I got interested in what you were doing. You seemed to be interested in what I was doing. And I guess that's how I learned about this. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really glad that you decided to, you know, join us. And it's kind of interesting because like, I literally don't remember how we added each other. I don't know who added one another, but I just remember that for some reason, I just had it in me to know that I wanted to talk to you and connect with you. And in my mind, I already saw you as a friend, like, and maybe that's just because of the, the mindset I was in at the time where I was wanting to make friends and trust people and, and put myself out there. And because I think that if there's anything I picked up moving out here is just what everyone's calling the Southern hospitality, where anyone and everyone just talks to you as if they've known you forever. And I remember it was an initial culture shock for me to have people just wave at me from across the street or say hi, or just have random conversations. I don't know this person, you know? And I remember when we first moved here, all our neighbors came to introduce themselves and say, hi, and say, why do we come here? So I think that it, with that spirit in mind, I just kind of automatically saw you as a friend, not even remembering the original, like reason, you know, and it just kind of happened. And, you know, long and behold, we ended up getting along and here we are. Yeah. Like one thing I do remember though, is at the time when we did become friends, I was really active in promoting one of my projects that has been put on hold because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think this was the original reason you wanted me to come on to this podcast. I have this project called Rerooted Filipinas. It's more than a cultural tour. It's cultural, educational, and environmental. So praying that that happens sometime, <laughs> Philippines opens up, and that we can have that tour to just bring Philams back to the Philippines, you know, mm-hmm. back. Yeah. I remember when we were first talking, 
I think I caught you at the time where it seemed like everything was falling apart in a sense where like all your plans for the year was like completely canceled. And, you know, I think we probably wouldn't have been friends if the pandemic hadn't happened because you probably would have been gone. You probably would have been in the Philippines. Right. And like doing your work. And so it's very unfortunate that that happened. But, you know, I think as things are slowly opening up again, I really do hope that you have that opportunity because there is something special to say about Filipino Americans going back to the Philippines. And I know Nani had experienced that at the beginning. Oh, was that, 20, that was the beginning of 2020, right, Nani? Like your first time going to the Philippines? I was in the Philippines when COVID broke out. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, wow. right. That's right. <laughs> I was literally in Boracay and all my friends were texting me like, hey, I'm not trying to scare you, but just FYI, there's like people dropping dead and you want to stay away from, you know, big groups of tourists. And I'm literally like, I'm on Boracay, like the most touristy island possible with just <laughs> mobs of people everywhere and they're sending me these like CNN Philippines news articles of people just like being carried away in these astronaut like hazmat suits and yeah it made it difficult to enjoy the last part of my vacation <laughs> yeah and even like the beginning Nani like a volcano erupted right like right before yes. you're ready to take off oh my gosh it was <laughs> It was so interesting. I remember that, <laughs> Jen, I was telling you this back at the time. That was when I first bought JL's Kapwa tarot cards. And mm-hmm. I was going to try and learn how to like read them and, you know, use them essentially. And the first card that I pulled was like the card of death. <laughs> and it was like a week before I was supposed to go on the trip. Oh my God. Literally, like a couple days later, the volcano erupted mm-hmm. to all, which is about 30 or 45 minutes, I think from where my family lives, who I was supposed to go visit the first leg of my trip. So that didn't get to happen because my flight got pushed back like four or five days, I think. And then once we got there, we were only there for like a week or so before COVID then hit. And (laughs) (laughs) now I understand the meaning of that card. (laughs) Because at the time I was like, oh my God, should I go? Like, does this mean I'm going to (laughs) die? But yeah, now I understand in hindsight, looking back at everything that's happened since then. And yeah, it's pretty crazy to think that I was out there when that happened. And then I traveled from right when COVID hit, I traveled from Philippines to Singapore. And even on that flight, you know, I was like wearing my mask and wearing gloves and everything, like just being super careful. And I was like, what is happening right now? (laughs) Yeah. Well, the little time that you were there in the Philippines, how did that impact you? I think I was at first like not really taking it seriously because I didn't know what it was. And I was just like, okay, like I'm on vacation. Like I really just (laughs) don't want anything to disrupt my vacation. I'm here trying to connect with my roots and, you know, like soak in the motherland. And I was really trying to not let anything get in the way of that. And then once I left Philippines and got to Singapore because it was really just the last couple days that I was in the Philippines. When COVID first hit, then I was like, okay, this is kind of scary, you know, like seeing everyone else take the precautions because it hit in Asia first before it came to the United States. And then it seemed to like follow us back home when we came home. And so I was like, once I got home, that's when it soaked in that I was like, oh, this is something serious, like a global pandemic which is something that I didn't know how to process at the time. Oh, 
Well, crazy. That's just crazy. I can't even believe that that was like, yeah, that was a year and a half ago now at this point since all of this has changed. So much has happened since then. (laughs) Yeah. You know, for me, it's like 2020 was going to be the year that I was going to start socializing in person and, you know, getting to know all these events and hopefully with Melody's help, like get to know the festivals, the local festivals and all the good things that typically go on here. But obviously a lot has changed. And even as we get into this new normal or another level of a different normal, it's interesting there's like a level of anxiousness that I think even I feel trying to go out and socialize again. I mean, I was like, I have plans, as I mentioned in a previous episode to go to Orlando, Florida in September. And I was talking to my family about possibly coming and visit. And my sister was like, oh, well, you know, are you vaccinated? Like, are are you vaccinated? Is Scott vaccinated? And either way, it's like, whether I am or not, it kind of just made me feel uncomfortable knowing that there's kind of this peer pressure (laughs) in a sense, you know, to conform a certain way so that, you know, we can be in community with each other. But what if you don't agree to certain things, right? So it's an interesting time to say the least. And, you know, from that moment of you going to the Philippines to now, I I feel like it's been very interesting. (laughs) But anyway, I'm going to go ahead and turn it back to Melody. Obviously, this is obviously about Melody here. And (laughs) Melody, yeah. So can I add? Yes. So Nani, as you were talking, I was just like reflecting on, you know, like why I made my project like Rerooted Filipinas and it happened. We're talking about national disasters, right? So Mm -hmm. do you remember in 2013 when Typhoon Haiyan hit the Philippines? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was the first major typhoon to hit land and it was in the Philippines. And, you know, the whole world was watching. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when I heard about it, I was giving a lecture on leadership, women in leadership and on civil engagement and like, you know, actually doing something about it. And I just Mm -hmm. felt convicted to do something about it. So in that time, I helped to organize a fundraiser for millennials. And like as millennials, we raised over $10,000 in three weeks. Wow. Wow. That, we had over a hundred volunteers who actually mm. caring, you know, at that time, like, you know, we're in our twenties, like we didn't really care. Not that we didn't care, but like, it wasn't like close to us. Kind of like Nani, when you were going to the Philippines, it was just like, you know, I don't know what this means. Like, and then like, you feel connected, like you were right. in like this, you know, monumental event. And so like at the time in 2013, this was like this monumental event and like people started feeling connected. So I helped raise this money and then I invited myself to deliver it to the Philippines. Wow. Other groups that had raised like a lot of more money, <laughs> yeah, had a lot more money to, to raise, like, you know, the older Filipinos. So I invited myself to go to the Philippines to drop it off. And wow. while in the Philippines... Like a lot of the community was just like, who's this girl? Like, like, how did she get picked? I'm like, uh, I invited myself. <laughs> I invited I picked myself. myself. <laughs> yeah. And so I remember like talking to the governor of Tacloban and, you know, I told him about the fundraiser and he's just like, well, why don't you bring some people back and, and we'll plant coconut trees and mangroves. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, let me finish my dissertation and I'll come back and do this. And he was just like, okay, okay. And so like, I always had this in me, like, you know, of coming back and bringing people to plant mangroves and coconut trees to like, you know, to protect, protect the land. I love that. From this devastation. So it took me a long time to finish my dissertation from then. That was like 20, I went in 2014. So like six months after typhoon hit, it took me another five years to graduate with my PhD, 
But then it was just like, okay, 2019, graduated my PhD. Okay, I'm going to bring people. I'm like going to the embassy, like talking to all these people from all over the country, like even other countries about like, hey, you know, let's go back to the Philippines. Let's plant some coconut trees. Everyone's excited. Like I want people to be excited, like going to Hawaii or going to to Europe, like, you know, Philippines is just as amazing and just as rich in culture and just, For sure. if not more, you know, definitely more. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot more biased over here, obviously, <laughs> you know, there's a thing to be said about like planting your roots, not just like culturally, but like physically, like I'm really into mm-hmm. environment and environmental protection. So yeah. it's just like, you're leaving a piece of you in mm. that has given you peace. If that makes sense. And so I don't know, it's just like this physical and like symbolic like metaphor in a way of like planting your roots and giving back and growing your roots. Yeah, I love that. I wish I would have known about um, well, your organization. And everything. I mean, even though you didn't get to make it happen in in 2020, I think that at the time that I was trying to organize this trip to the Philippines that I went on, like Mm -hmm. I had expressed to Jen many times back then, that's really kind of the type of trip that I was looking for. I was looking to do activities like that Mm -hmm. and connect with organizations and, you know, like go there to find myself essentially. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going with a group of my best friends who really just wanted to party, you know? (laughs) And so that was cool too, because I got kind of macroscopic view of lay of the land and I got to understand a couple of the different islands, but it wasn't really any of the stuff that I wanted to, that was like the goal of me going there or the purpose Mm -hmm. of me wanting to go there in the first place. It was a nice first trip and I did have a lot of fun, but immediately when I came back, I was like, I already need to plan another trip because I just didn't get to do anything that I wanted to do, such as something like that. And I think Jen was even telling me about some other organizations that she knew of that did similar activities or kind of field trip Mm event-like things. And so that is something that I definitely would be interested in like post-pandemic. I mean, I don't know how it will work now that I will have a baby and all, but... (laughs) (laughs) well I definitely want it to be family friendly Mm -hmm. oh nice I mean I already planned it (laughs) yeah there it's already outlined like we had a you just need the the green lights had like donated some flights Mm. oh wow that's amazing Philippine embassy Philippine department of tourism they know sponsored good for you you have some like real professional organizing skills (laughs) hopefully I mean because the ambassador has changed oh that's right yeah like my connections are changing right you know praying that it's still cool (laughs) to like and like hey you guys already signed off on this can we just continue yeah. Can we just pick up where we left off? Yeah. yeah. It's like, you I may think- not know me, but the last ambassador did. And <laughs> and he loved me and he featured me in Philippine stars. So yeah. There you so go. hopefully you guys had a great relationship. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, part of why I also wanted to bring Melody on the show is she's just quite the mover and shaker here locally because Melody, you were born and raised here in Virginia beach. So let's go ahead and transition over to a little bit about your background and upbringing and how you identify of being a Filipino American. Talk a little bit about like, you know, your family lineage, your upbringing here and, you know, what does it mean to be a Filipino American woman for you? Right. So I think that's an interesting question because growing up Filipino American here in Hampton Roads or Virginia Beach, like East Coast Filipinos, we came here like 60s, 70s, 80s, like the big wave, whereas Mm -hmm. like Hawaii or like California, they came like way earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Growing up, everyone I knew was first gen Filipino or like, you know, parents migrated here. Like I had one friend who was different because her mom was born here. And like, Mm. like, I didn't understand, like young at the time, I just, I didn't like most of the people I was around was Ilocano. Most people like their dad was in the Navy and their mom was a nurse. So in my head, that was what Filipino meant. It was until much later, like middle school, when I learned that like, there's a lot of people who are like not Ilocano and that my Ilocano upbringing is not like all of Filipino. And it, it wasn't until like even my PhD, you know, that I realized that my experience as Filipino American is different than someone who might've been brought up in like the West coast. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's kind of a loaded question to me because I'm a counselor and I'm also a counselor educator. So I teach counselors and training. And so I developed of counseling Filipino theory mm-hmm. based on my preconception of and growing up, right? But I didn't know that like not all Filipinos are Catholic or like not, you know, like that some people are like third generation. Like the first time I met a third generation Filipino American, I was in my mid twenties. Wow. Like, that's East Coast. Like I didn't know. <laughs> Just yeah. Like, I think that's interesting. And, you know, when we ask this question, and I know, I know I asked it in a very loaded way, but like when we answer this question, it's usually having people, you know, talk about, you know, let's say, oh, my parents are from the Philippines. They came through the military or what have you. They were like the last person we interviewed, they had diplomatic parents, you know, so like she herself had a hard time kind of identifying if she was like a first, second generation Filipino American or actually an immigrant in which she realized she was an immigrant when she was already in college. Mm -hmm. But I like how, you know, you opened up with that self-awareness that, you know, the East coast is different from the West coast, primarily because of that wave. Like you said, I didn't even know that information. I lived in California for 20 years, you know, to know that, like, it kind of makes a a lot of sense to me why there's so much movement, I think in the Bay area, Nani, right. Because there's a Mm -hmm. lot of Filipinos there and have been there for a long time. And to know that, like, let's say Filipino American history is incorporated in the schools there where out here, it still feels, it still feels like there's a lot of work to be done in a sense. I mean, I don't know. You can tell me, Mel, but like, I feel like it is different. It is very different. And I appreciate you opening up with that self-awareness of just how I'm going to say different again of how different it is <laughs> the West coast and the East coast. But anyway, continue. That's funny and interesting that you said that I'm also like part of the Asian advisory board here in Virginia. And so, you know, it's my first time, like really being involved in government and Like, I think it's really cool to know that our secretary of education is Asian American here in Virginia, Mm -hmm. and they have been developing a more like culturally competent and inclusive, like curriculum 
social studies curriculum. So I was really excited when California added Philippine history, Filipino American history to their curriculum. And that was years ago, but like mm-hmm. we're starting to catch up, which I think is really cool. Yeah, that just so blows my mind, just kind of knowing where I lived and like what is happening out here and how things are starting to kind of like pick up what California has had for some time now. Nani, I'm just curious to know if you have any thoughts about this, knowing that, you know, you were born, raised and live and work and now you're going to have a family (laughs) in in Oakland, California, (laughs) you know, knowing just a little bit about the East Coast. Yeah, no, I think that we've touched on this in several of our interviews about the difference between kind of East Coast and West Coast Filipinos. And it seems like we just all really like live in our bubbles, you know? And even for me, it took me a long time to realize or learn, I guess, the history that's here in California for Filipino Americans dating back, you know, decades to like the farm workers movement, basically. And I just recently learned that Filipinos were some of the first people to migrate to America down in like Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, yeah, again, we just, we operate in our bubbles and we know what we know to be Filipino in the context of our own family and upbringing experience. For me, my family, I feel like is more, or the younger generations of my family uh, from like my dad down are more Americanized, but there was that stark difference between like my grandma's and her brothers and sisters and my grandpa and his siblings down to, you know, my dad's generation where they don't speak the language. They, you know, assimilated pretty well into American life, even if a lot of them, most of them were still born in the Philippines. And so that's kind of what I interpreted it to mean to be a Filipino American, whereas the older generations obviously have a very different understanding of that. And they know this history, you know, but they didn't pass it down necessarily. So again, it's through like interviewing people like you or people on a different side of the country that it really takes for us to get to know our own history and how we're connected. So yeah the oral history part of it, I think for me is so important. And I just want to like lean into everything that you're telling me about the East coast, because I don't know, you know? Yeah. I often joke that Melody is my local tour guide, (laughs) (laughs) but she's your joke. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like that's what your community tends to refer to you as, right. Is like the local tour guide in a sense, but Melody, you are way more than that. And I just want (laughs) to let our listeners know a little bit more about your background. So You know, you've spent over 20 years serving your community here in Virginia Beach, Hampton Roads. Virginia Beach is in Hampton Roads, is what I come to understand. And Hampton uh, Roads is just a made up metropolitan. Okay. (laughs) You'll hear Hampton Roads, you'll hear coastal Virginia, you'll hear. What's Tidewater? Is that coastal? Like. Tidewater was what it was called before it was Hampton Roads. Got it. Okay. Because someone asked me, like, oh, you live in Tidewater. And I'm like, do I? Water, and then, I mean, I get—I don't know if you care about this local history. I do. Go ahead. So, um, like, what happened was we were Tidewater, right? And like, that's also not an official name. Mm. They call this region Tidewater. Another unofficial name is the Seven Cities. But I guess the business owners wanted something new, something different, something like catchy or something. So. Mm-hmm like the rich people literally like went around and started like, Hey, like you should call it this. And like kind of started convincing people around and businesses to like, to start calling it Hampton roads. Mm. There's no official movement called Hampton roads. It's very confusing. 
because no one knows what we are. And so some people will call us Virginia Beach and surrounding right. areas. Some people will call us Norfolk and surrounding areas. There's no regional planning. Wow. Uh, so many groups. I'm like, what like, do you type in Google Maps? <laughs> yes, Virginia Beach. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Actual well, city. It's yeah. kind of like, it's kind of like when I think about San Diego, there's so many like cities with like San Diego is like a big general way to talk about SoCal, but there's so many cities within it. And depending on where you live, like there's a place called, you know, Benita, California. And, you know, that's where all the ranches are and, and horse owners and stuff. And, and they don't always necessarily identify with San Diego. Like, no, we're Benita, you know, even though San Diego envelops, <laughs> you know, Benita. Yeah. So I kind of feel like that's what's, that's what it is here where mm-hmm. like, you know, as a whole, we can call it Hampton roads, but really depending on where you live and maybe how long you've lived here, you know, some people might call it Tidewater. Some people might call it, you know, for me, I call it Virginia beach because I'm fairly new and that's literally where I live. But I, I also, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, Oh, like Norfolk is also part of Virginia beach because of, you know, my lack of knowledge, you know, I kind of group it all in there, but it is very different. And I like how in an odd way, like this place kind of has an identity crisis. <laughs> in it regards has an to identity crisis. <laughs> I've been to too many meetings about <laughs> this crisis and trying to solve it. The new yeah. thing is Coastal Virginia. That's the okay. that they're trying to push everyone towards. So. Okay, Coastal Virginia. Well, <laughs> Anyway, thank you for that history lesson, Melody. I also just want to, you know, let our listeners know just how incredible you are. You know, you have been serving this community for a long time, not just mentoring AAPI or at-risk youth, organizing the Filipino community events, fundraising for Filipinos affected by national disasters, like you mentioned just recently, and also performing in the AAPI Art and Cultural Festival. So you are just all about it. You're just all about being involved in this community. So feel free to let us know, like, you know, what does it mean for you today? Like for me to just read all this. You know, what does it mean for you to know that you've accomplished all these things and you're so invested in this community? And I'm saying this from an outsider. So hopefully this helps you appreciate all the good work you've done up until this point. I mean, it doesn't feel like a lot, but then when you hear it out loud, it's like, wow, that's a lot. (laughs) I I hear that, like when I hear about like what everyone else does and I'm like, man, they're doing a lot. But then like, when I say what I do, they're like, man, you're doing a lot. I'm like, really? Am I? But I I guess it's important to note, like, I knew I was different from preschool. Hmm. I guess, like, um, I like, it's funny you said, like, what's Tidewater? Like, so the, one of the organizations my family is a part of is the United Electrano Association of Tidewater. Hmm. And so, like, I literally grew up around, like, a lot of Electranos, too. And, but, like, I knew, like, age four, going to preschool, like, I was different. Like, my neighbors, like... You know, like there were words I would say that were not in English. And I thought it was English because I spoke English, right? And they were like, what are you trying to say? And I'm like, suput. Like, I say suput. And they're like, what's that? It's like, like, took me a while to be like a plastic bag or like even now, like basura. Like, what's trash can? Like, what is it in English again? You know, right. Um, I think that was like probably one of the first moments I knew it was different. And so I started thinking about culturally how I was different and like analyzing and processing this from like probably when I was like four. Mm -hmm. So then I started helping my friends figure it out, right? Like, you know, what does it mean to be Filipino-American? Like one thing I appreciate about my parents is, and I didn't find this out until like more recently, is when they migrated to America, well, my dad was here first and then he like, that's a cute story if we ever get to it one day. But when my parents migrated to America, 
like they, they had a conversation about how they wanted to raise their kids. And one thing that they wanted to do that was different from how they were raised is they wanted like my brother and I to like have a voice and have an opinion. We got in trouble for those voices and those opinions, but like we were also raised to like, you know, think critically, speak up. And so I started helping my friends, you know, figure it out because like some of them didn't have that, (laughs) I guess, encouragement. I know. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) My best friend hates being Filipino. She hates Mm. I haven't talked to her about it now, like now that she's a mom, but like definitely before she was a mom, like she hated it because she didn't know how to talk to adults, like Mm -hmm. four years old talking to adults. And um, she graduated college is stumbling upon her words to her first boss because she didn't know how to like stand up for herself. Self-advocate. Yeah. Yeah. Self-advocate. She was very upset about that, but like, I like started helping a lot and I was already a counselor by then, but like, I was like helping a lot of my friends, like navigate, like how they feel about these different identities that they hold on to. So now as a therapist, that's like probably my favorite population I work with is like about a third of my clients or at my practice, we call them patients, but about a third of them are Asian Americans, not just Filipinos, like trying to love it. Yeah. And it's very healing. I follow this Filipino therapist in California. I like message her, like, you know, kind of fangirling, like, hey, I'm a therapist too. And she's like older, but she was just saying like one of the stories she said, and I don't remember if she said it directly to me or if it was one of her posts, but like, it felt like she was talking to me. So I'm just going to say <laughs> she said it, you know, like sometimes you experience things and it just feels like, yes, oh, it yeah. speaks to you. Oh yeah. She said she had a client and she just had to tell her like, it's going to be okay. Like in Tagalog and like that person for that person, that's the healing that they needed. Hear mm-hmm. it like in Tagalog, but for Philams, it's kind of like, and I've gotten this a lot. Like I needed to hear it from someone who looked like me or someone who, you know, is from like, like one of recently someone told me, she was just like, yeah, you're like my sister's age. So you're like my ate. And it's like, Just hearing it from you, like, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm valid. Yeah. No, like it was healing. Um, Yeah. So having that cultural alignment, I think, especially Mm -hmm. in like a therapy space or a mentorship space is so important. And so I love Mm -hmm. that you have really taken that on. Like, it sounds like you were raised with a really strong sense of self, you know, and you're hyper aware of that from such a young age, you like had a pretty tight grasp on okay, I know who I am and I know I'm different. And I know that other people who I can relate to are probably having this weird internal conversation with themselves. So let me help them out, you know, because I know that it's going to be received differently coming from me. Yeah. You know, you made it sound really easy. I just wanted to, it was hard. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh you my figured gosh, it I'm out. different. Like I accept it. Like, no, yeah. not that at all. I I just love how, you know, just like what Nani had said, you were taught that self-advocacy at a young age, because you're right. There's so many people I I think about for myself where a lot of issues were swept under the rug and I can name a number of them, but I'll save that for another time. But, you know, I didn't really learn self-advocacy till my late twenties. And that's even still something in my young thirties that I'm struggling with. I mean, actively being in therapy for, and why I have a podcast show such as this to find that verbiage, that language, that conviction to self-advocate, you know? So I just love that 
you were raised right in a sense, or you were raised in a way that I think helped you better adapt, I think in American society, because it is, it is hard. And, and you kind of sort of, I think about just all the self-doubt I carried for myself and the fear of what it would mean to speak up, you know? And so I just love that. I love that you were instilled that early on and how you, in a way, add that to your work today. Yeah. I mean, you know, like saying it out loud, that's like super oversimplification, right? Like my yeah. wanted to do that, but of course, like they're also stuck in some of their ways. Right. So right. It was still hard, you know, right. growing up. It was just maybe a little less hard. Yeah. I'm sure it was a process and, you know, a journey to get to that point. The point is that you got there and that yeah. you are, you know, We're passing on becoming right. Yeah, yes, of course. Yes, of yeah. course. We're ever evolving. We were just mm-hmm. interviewing my dad actually on our private podcast platform, Chismas with Jen and Nani. And he was talking about how kind of the vision, I guess, that he had for me when I was born and how he similarly wanted me to grow up really strong in my sense of self and knowing that, you know, something that he said about not having, not feeling the need for anyone else to have to justify my existence or something like Mm -hmm. that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because I've always really struggled with that. You know, like intrinsically, I agree. Like I do think that he, looking back on my childhood, did try to instill that attitude in me and it is in there you know, it is a huge part of me, but it has been a learning process to like pull it out and use it, you know? So I think that there's something to be said too, for those like intimate relationships that you have with your parents and how they try to shape that as a part of your identity. And then also versus how you exercise it, you know, in your real life, when you step outside the four walls that are your home. So yes, I can also acknowledge that it was a process for you to get to where you are, but It seems like along the way, you've been doing what you can to pass on what you're learning or the tighter grasp that you get through your own experience to others to help them do the same. And that's just really admirable. I guess that's part of my social entrepreneurship. (laughs) When I thought that was, I was like, oh, that's me. (laughs) College and, and like skills away for free, right? But it's important to hear. It's important to hear that you matter. Yes. That you are valued, that what you say has value, that you have a gift to give to the world. Mm. I don't think, you know, that's emphasized enough. I mean, like Filipino-American or not, like it's not like so many people. And maybe I'm saying this like as a counselor. And so these are the people I talk to on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, we deserve to take up space. Yeah. And I like that you're, you know, not just speaking from your personal experiences, but on behalf of your patients, right? Like just knowing firsthand, talking to these people almost every day. Cause I know that's, you've been doing a lot of therapy during COVID <laughs> since we're stuck at home anyway. <laughs> I know you've been working a lot. We've had these conversations, but I love that you can speak that with conviction, knowing that like, these are real issues. Like it is hard for some people to look at themselves in the mirror and say, I matter my voice matters. Like I am allowed to take up space. I'm allowed to own it. I think it's a very common theme that a lot of us 
you know, struggle with and to even go to something like therapy is quite taboo for a lot of people in our community. So the fact that, you know, a third of your patients are, you know, of Asian descent and you're being that voice for them, you're being that face, you're showing that representation in therapy to say you matter. And you're right. It's like, sometimes it takes a certain person, someone that looks like you to say something that maybe someone else said, but because it's you, it sticks with you that much more. It's like, well, you said that. So if you said that, like, I believe it compared to, you know, let's say someone else saying it, that doesn't have the same skin color as I. So I just think it's beautiful work that you're doing. And as I mentioned, I know that you're doing a lot. I know you're working a lot in therapy right now. Just give us a quick snapshot of what that looks like. Cause I remember last time we talked, <laughs> you're working a ton of hours more so than let's say like the average therapist or more so than you feel like you should be right now. <laughs> well, okay. So when I was in grad school, like over a decade ago, they really instilled in us that most people don't have the emotional capacity to be a therapist full time. Mm-hmm. And like, just knowing me and like all the things that I like to do, like I, you know, I'm also an event planner. I love organizing events, fundraisers. Like I love my special projects. I'm a writer of all sorts, right? Researcher. I'm a professor. Like I knew going into the profession, I did not want to be a full-time therapist. Mm-hmm. Funny because it costs a lot of money. <laughs> right? So I knew I, I didn't want to be a full-time therapist. But because of COVID, I was just like, oh, well, I'm not going anywhere anyway. (laughs) So I I took on a full-time caseload. I since then like decreased a little bit. So I'm a little bit under full-time right now, but but I still teach. (laughs) I still am the secretary and chair on the advisory board or like health committee chair, not the chair chair. I still like freelance, right? I still go to my own therapy. And I still try to see friends <laughs> and, and I have a husband <laughs> and so I, I try to spend time with him too. <laughs> you know what I'd like to say, and I think part of, and maybe this is just kind of like being in your thirties and like not having kids. Like I just in general, cause I, I can speak on that not having kids myself. It's like, I feel like we can do so much, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, parents can't do it, but it's like, sometimes when I hear people doing so much it has a lot to do with not having kids sometimes, right? Like just being able to have that flexibility in the meantime, just like how Nani is here with me doing all these interviews before her, her next season of motherhood arrives. But you know, it's, it's a lot of good work. And I heard someone say this really beautifully. Actually, it was Gina from Make It Mariko, the vet planner Nani in the Bay Area. She wrote a whole blog about, you know, sometimes if we're not mothers, you know, we become community moms, you know, we are giving back, we are helping other people, other people in our community. And it sounds like that's a lot of what you're doing. Melody is really just, I'm not saying that you don't want to be a mom, but it kind of makes me feel like because of all this time you have, you know, it's like, I mean, comparatively, it's like, you can do all of this incredible work. You can be this busy, you know, and your husband's busy too. Anyway, he goes to work too. So it's like, you can fill in that time with all of the, you know, things that you do that make you so multifaceted. It's funny you say that too, because I feel like I always have this internal battle. Like I lived in Thailand for a little bit mm-hmm. where I, you know, I leisurely worked and I got to just, you know, I had a mango man, like 50 cents for a whole cut up mango or my mango man was like, I don't know, 30 cents, but he was the cheapest one, but it was so good. <laughs> like, you know, exploring, like I, I miss traveling. Like I usually travel like every year somewhere. And I haven't done that in a while. And so it's like this battle between like all this work that like, I know, like my heart is set to do and like wanting to just 
vacationed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I Soon mean, enough. tell us, yeah, tell yeah. us a little briefly about when you toured Asia to teach. And we talked yeah. a lot about this offline as well, where, you know, there was a time where you positioned yourself in a way where you could do that for free. And I think that's yeah. worth mentioning as well, considering how you are a social entrepreneur. And yeah, I think it's worth sharing that perspective, kind of knowing like what you can do in order to be able to do something such as that, being able to tour around Asia. Okay. I'm going to rewind a little bit to like when like five, six years old, since I was five or six, I knew I was meant for something big. I just didn't know what it was. And I'm in this constant state of discovering and rediscovering what that means. And I feel like, I don't feel like there's like a single answer. I think it's just like this building that I'm doing Mm, for sure. And so in 20, I guess 2015, I actually, I have lupus. So that's a big part of my identity and who I am. Mm. Not so much my identity. I take that back. I am not going to claim that. Yes. I have lupus and that's a big part of my story. Yes. I mean, okay. Maybe I shouldn't say it, but like, I'm about to cry just saying it. Like I'm, I like, I've been battling like this big ass lupus flare uh, for the past year. And like, it's starting to like crack me, Mm, man. But my last big lupus flare was 2015. I ended up in the hospital for like over a week and it like really made me reevaluate like what I wanted to do. At the time I wasn't in a job I was not happy with. Like I love the work I was doing. It just wasn't the work I wanted to do. Like, you know, it was definitely, I should have just stayed for two years like I intended and I stayed for way longer than that. So I wasn't happy in that job. And like, it was kind of like an excuse to not pursue like what I really wanted to do, which is like, mm-hmm. I'm doing now. It's just like all the things. And I'm still not really doing what I want to do. Like, you know, I have my Mellow Mahalo. It's a soft launch brand, right? Like I wanted, that's one thing I wanted to do in 2020. I wanted to do a hard launch of Mellow Mahalo. Uh, Mellow Mahalo is my brand that like I teach, I do community like teachings. I do like business trainings. You know, I just like share information right? It stands for purpose, love, and gratitude. Like that's kind of like pillars that I stand on. Like mellow is like melody. We all have a music, a song. Mm-hmm. And it's your name. <laughs> and it's your name. Yeah, yes. Exactly. <laughs> Mahal is love in Tagalog. And mahalo is like, thank you, gratitude in Hawaiian. And wow. I'm, uh, I cr- it started off as a blog, actually. I like stopped paying for the website. So it doesn't exist anymore. But it was when, after I got out of the hospital, I heard about this opportunity to go to Hawaii. And it was this international leadership program, which they changed it now. Like it used to be this nine month program. You lived in Hawaii for half the time. And then you had the opportunity to apply for funding for a project. So I got in, they don't usually take Americans, but because Mm. of the work I've done in the Philippines, I think that's why they made an exception. Yeah, they made an exemption and it was really an amazing time. It was the first time living in Hawaii was the first time I was not in the minority and it was an amazing, I got to like, just learn to learn. There were no grades (laughs) there. It was just learning. I love that. It was amazing. And then I applied for my project. So what was really cool about this program. So this is at the East West Center It's called the Asia Pacific Leadership Program, like all these leaders from Asia, and then me, like 24 people, I think we were from 13 or 14 countries, different disciplines, pretty much mid-career. We, it like, 
it was amazing. Like we, like we all had like different projects and different interests. So we were able to collaborate. Like I had this business model for Mellow Mahalo that I created like, I don't know, almost a decade ago now. It's going to launch. So <laughs> about it, maybe one day it will actually launch. I got like, I got to, I, it was that, not criticized is not the right word, but like I got to present it. Until Critiqued. Like, yeah. Critique, yeah. Like I got to present it to all these leaders from around the world. And like, they were like, wow, this is amazing. And I'm like, what? Like, you think this is amazing? Like, you know, you're like this big person. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, it, it was just such an incredible experience. So then, and like part of my social entrepreneurship is I want to make mental health accessible. Yeah. Like I love that. it's not accessible. It's elitist. It's yeah. very Western. It's not really culturally <laughs> competent. Anyways. Yeah. And so I'm trying to like uh, battle this or, or like balance this like idea of like, well, one of my identities is I am a counselor, but one of my identities is, you know, like I'm Filipino, like, right. Like mm-hmm. that fit exactly. So like, why make this fit? So one of the ways I do that is I give trainings to companies on like mental wellness, on stress, on identity, on, you know, just like whatever they need. And so like, I haven't really done anything much since the pandemic, but like, I'll do it for schools. I'll do it for organizations, for businesses, like just whoever like reaches out, like it's very word of mouth right now, Mm -hmm. but I've been doing it for forever. And so I was just like, what if I did this in the Philippines or the Philippines, but in Asia, like we had to do at least two countries. I was able to go to four. Wow. What if I did this in Asia? So like you write a proposal and it's like, it was rated by 11 people. So everyone who turned in a proposal, like it was rated, there was only seven slots. And so I did this thing teaching mental wellness around Asia. And most of my comments and feedback from the raters, like if these people are leaders from Asia are like, it's not going to work. Wow. Prove or not recommended, not recommended, not recommended. It's not going to work in Asia. Even the mentor they assigned me was just like, this isn't going to work. Yeah. This isn't prioritized. Yeah. Why are you going to give me, why are you going to assign me a mentor who's going to tell me like, this isn't going to work. Right. So, but (laughs) probably by the skin of my teeth, my proposal got accepted. (laughs) Yes. So I was able to give workshops and trainings, you know, on mental health, but also on environment in like Sri Lanka, Thailand, Vietnam, and the Philippines. Wow. That's like, amazing. There, there was really no direction or like no requirements. So like, I just kind of, was just like, Hey, like I just reached out. Some of it was cold calling. Some of it was just like meeting random people, like at the bus or something or the airport or like, like reaching out to random people that I might've known. Like my best friend lives, one of my best friends lives in Thailand so she was able to connect me with people who connected with you, with people who connected with me. Nice, yeah. So yeah, it was like literally a lot of networking, but it was so fun. And I got to eat mango every day. <laughs> For 30 cents. <laughs> 30 cents. Amazing. Yeah. So, and not only did it work, everyone wanted me to come back. Like everyone was just, right. we need this, you know, why don't you move here? So like- <laughs> He wants to just kind of be like half here, half there. And I've always been, and this is like way before my, my Asian tour, 
I've always wanted just to make enough money so that I can do free things like this, like whether it's here in the States or like abroad, like to me, money is just a, I mean, I like money, but to me, money is a like means to help, to help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm glad my husband feels the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that it's very culturally it's easy to kind of like villainize money in a way, or, you know, kind of see it as the root of all evil, but, you know, working in finance myself and, and with my husband, it's like, it's a means it's not meant to dictate your life. It's meant to propel your life forward, yeah. you know, into things that you actually want to do, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you sharing all of that melody. Not even, I don't know if you have any thoughts on just anything that melody shared. No, I mean, I'm just soaking in your experience and really in awe of how you were able to kind of finesse your way through, through Asia, giving these trainings. And I can imagine that, you know, at first submitting those proposals, especially over there in Asia, I think the climate is different than over here in America, where Mm -hmm. at least now, you know, throughout the pandemic, people are really prioritizing those things Mm -hmm. in their organizations and their workplaces you know, learning about how identity plays into employee engagement and retention and all that stuff. But over in Asia, I can imagine (laughs) that that's not so prioritized for them. And so I think it's really impressive that you were able to advocate for yourself hard enough to kind of get in there. And then once you did, it seemed like it was really this eye-opening experience for those organizations to be like, oh, this is something that we should be prioritizing and really thinking about. And it sounds like you really made a difference in those spaces. What was really cool is like, I was giving workshops for like kids, but also like adults Mm. Yeah. for this one school system. Like they were just like, wait a minute, who are you? They just like organized super quick, like a district school district wide, like student leadership conference. So it was like a four hour training for students. It was their first one. Like, how cool is it? I was able to, to give the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Two, at least two of the workshops, no one spoke English. Wow. Wow. Or like one person spoke English. Yeah. I stayed at my friend's house in Vietnam and like, she went to work (laughs) and her family doesn't speak English. So that was an experience too. But then She like set up this workshop where I taught like kids from elementary school about feelings. And it was like this school at the outskirts of the city of uh, like Hanoi. So book English and like they heard about this foreigner in town. (laughs) Everyone brought their kids over. So I'm here teaching about feelings to man that don't know English. And so like, you know, that was really exciting. Like just the communication, like figuring out communication. Cause like there's this common understanding, right. With like movement, with colors, with, you know, just like pointing, you know, like (laughs) it was fun and interesting, but yeah, like, like government officials, business leaders, like entrepreneurs, like there wasn't anyone specifically I was targeting, but because I have, like, I worked in the school system as a suicide counselor Like I've worked in the community service board. Like I worked in businesses and I gave trainings. I worked in academia. Like I had enough experience in different populations to be able to give these workshops to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. 
I just, I feel like we have this endless resume, <laughs> decorated resume that you had Melody and, and, you know, obviously I'm just so glad that we're friends. I'm so glad to know you and even have you as a resource when it comes to these, you know, types of things and the type of work that you're doing. And I applaud you for doing all of that. And I'm just excited to, like I said, be your friend and continue to be part of your journey <laughs> and hear you progress. I'm just soaking in everything you're sharing Melody. Cause I, I feel like since I've met you Every time I learn something new about you, I'm like, man, she's doing something amazing. Wow. She's doing something else. Amazing. And, and I know we have this mutual respect for each other and, and the work that we do. So it's just, I think this is us just kind of fangirling each other <laughs> right about now, but you know, in closing, I thought we can wrap up by talking about the traditional healing that you've learned, including Filipino healing traditions that you think should be more incorporated in health and in mental health overall. And I guess kind of close up with that, the importance of that and knowing that being Filipino is enough and our healing traditions are enough, if not more than enough. So would you like to close up on that? Yeah. So I feel like we can have a whole podcast on that alone, but and I've been a counselor for over 10 years. I I'm a counselor educator. So I, I teach at the master's and doctorate level, like other counselors, but the deeper I, I go into the profession and I, I don't want to knock the profession because I, I love being a counselor. It's just that, um, like the more, like the deeper I'm, I'm going into it, like the more I'm realizing how Western counseling is and how like, we're like the only culture, like the Western culture is like the only culture that like separates like mental health and physical health and spiritual health, where like as Filipinos, like we have healing traditions that maybe were erased or forgotten, or I'm not sure if like forgotten is the right word, but like hidden because of like the 400 years of colonization. I'm definitely not an expert in Filipino healing traditions, but I do know we have our ancestors. I do know that like, like Hilot, like people think of Hilot, people think of Masat, right? What people might not know is Hilot was way more than that. Like it was this energy medicine where the massage was only one part of it. Mm. Wow. With it was an understanding of how the body works, how the body, mind, and spirit all work together. And it was very intuitive. And a lot of Filipinos, like we're very intuitive. We're very empathic. We're very feeling oriented, but there's like this disconnect because we're taught not to feel and we're taught not to share. So then it leaves us with like all these emotions that like we don't know what to do with and with all these feelings that we don't know how to express. So the more I learn about it, I hope to share it like with other people that we do like as Filipinos, as Asians, as women, like we have something to give. Like that's more than just anything we can say, more than anything we can do. Like our presence alone is enough to be healing. And once we can utilize that and learn how to, to utilize that and learn how to appreciate that and know and respect it and know what it is, I think there will be a lot more healing in our community. So I guess just leaving you with, we are more than just our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. We're an integration of all of those things. So there's a saying in the mental health world, there is no health with me without mental health. So like that is so true, like even like in the context of culture. Wow. When you talked a little bit about how we sort of separate like the emotions from, I mean, the best way I can describe it is almost like having the separation between logic and emotions, like 
you know, a separation between your, your mind and your heart. And you didn't say it that way, but that's how I heard it. And that just really touched me because, you know, I think being a hyphenated American, you always feel like you're trying to find that balance. You're always trying to figure out like, okay, should I assimilate here? Like, what should I code switch to today? You know? And so just to hear that and to know that we are actually more than enough and we can take up space and, you know, in all of our multifacetedness is just, you know, it really speaks to me. And I, I, you know, it's funny because we didn't like know what the life lesson was going to be, but I'm glad this was sort of the case. (laughs) Nani, any thoughts from you? Yeah, I really like, I think that that's a beautiful note to close on and something that you, the listener can take the next week until we release the next episode to really contemplate and think about is, how as a part of our like Filipino identity, we're kind of just wired for connection and we are very connected just by nature um, to each other. And then the disconnect between kind of that inherent nature that we have as Filipinos or the Kapwa, our shared identity and how we're culturally raised to not show our emotions and to push those things under the rug and to you know, we have this pressure or this expectation that's imposed on us to just act like we have it all together and not acknowledge when we need help. And so I think that that's a really, you said it really beautifully, the way that you outlined that. And I think that that's something for us to all take home today from this episode and think about. Yeah. It's a lot to process. Ooh, that was good. Okay. I'm not going to ruin it anymore. I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping this up. Well, Melody, first and foremost, thank you for being my friend. And thank you for being on the show and thank you for just, I'm just in admiration of the good work that you do and continue to do. And I know that there's going to be a lot of great things that you're going to do, especially when things open up again, (laughs) and hopefully you'll be able to go back to the Philippines. In the meantime, this was such a wonderful conversation. Remember to our listeners, if you want to reach out to Melody, you can find her on Instagram at Melo Mahalo. That's M-E-L-O-M-A-H-A-L-O on Instagram right now, go ahead and reach out to her and let her know that you listened to her episode and you really like what she had to share. You could also reach out to us 415-484-8329. Again, that's 415-484-8329 or email, you know, Jen at tifaproject.com, Nani at tifaproject.com or our website, tifaproject.com. We have a lot of links and that's a lot of call to actions. I hope I'm not overwhelming our listeners. And of course, if you want to support our show, one more thing, one more call to action, you can check us out at biasbobo.com and subscribe to our private podcast show, Chismas with Jen. Nani. Okay, I'm done. We love you all. Thank you all so much for being here. Nani, thank you for co-hosting with me as always. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And to our listeners, we love you all. And we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Bye.